CFRU 93.3 FM, and this is our first episode from 2021. Um, we are very happy that 2020 is over and looking forward to a new year, although it doesn't quite feel that different yet. Um, so we have uh, our host here. I'm with Abdul and Paul. I'm not actually with them. We are all in our own separate houses and recording virtually today. Um, but on today's episode, we'd like to just do a bit of a roundup of some of the events that have happened over the past little while that are currently happening and kind of over the past six, six months that have been relevant to agriculture. As you may have noticed, we haven't had a new show in a while, but we hope to continue to make new shows this year um, and follow up on food, farming, and all things agriculture that are happening. So welcome back to the show, Paul and Abdul. Um, how has your COVID lockdown been? Where do we start? Alphabetical order, you go first. <laughs> Where do we start? Because yeah, it's been like a year. Of course, throughout the year, we've been able to uh, make a couple of shows. Uh, we've not been on break for a year, but we've been on break for for some time now. But for me, in terms of COVID lockdown, have I done anything quite different in terms of food? A little bit. I've tried to like do a little bit more of cooking during and try new things. But uh, I haven't been able to really maintain that. But I, I'm still happy that I was able to try some new foods like that I generally wouldn't prepare because I don't have enough time to do that. So if there's one thing I've taken out of the COVID, I, I will say that is one. COVID, 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 yes. Yeah, I, I think my uh, biggest thing at the moment is just the cabin fever is driving me crazy like it is everybody else. And... Uh, I always have to remember that, you know, I'm in a relatively privileged position. I haven't lost a job or, you know, income or anything uh, like a lot of people have. So it's a, it's good to remember that, uh, that uh, the hardships are relative, you know, and trying to keep everybody fed. And, you know, my wife and my teenage son, probably harder on the, te the Gen Z kids, I think, because it's, you know, that time of life when you're supposed to be social and, uh, and you can't do that, and, and the school is so disrupted and so on. So I'm thinking about that because of him. <clears throat> so, but I know mean, there's lots of things that have turned up that, you know, these virtual conferences you can go to on the other side of the world, you know, that you wouldn't necessarily go to, right? So, or, or listen into. 
you got to get the time zones right. So I was in a couple of uh, FAO and OECD things, and they're on like Zurich time, right? <laughs> and I'm just not good at that basic math, you know. <laughs> So. Yeah, I had that as well. I was presenting some of my research on digital agriculture at a conference that would have been in in England in Brighton. Um, and yeah, had to wake up quite early to make my presentation. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've also been, I would say, I won't call it a victim of that, but generally I've been trying, I was uh, talking to Paul before we got on this uh, show that I'm currently conducting interviews. And because of most of the people I'm trying to talk to are either in Europe or in Africa, I've had to conduct interviews like, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. at night, difficult time differences. Yeah. Yeah. So, Emily, how about you? How, how has the lockdown been for you? Um, yeah, I, I can definitely definitely relate to some of the comments Paul made around cabin fever and, um, yeah, missing friends and family. But I also relate to what you said, Abdullah. More time at home to to prepare things. I definitely jumped on the bandwagon of doing lots of home baking during <laughs> quarantine. Um, we bake we make bread every week now, which is something I didn't do before. But it's nice to have a a fresh loaf of bread when you're at home. But um, yeah, it's been it's been going along, and so uh, it's nice to have the opportunity to. Uh, chat with you guys today and produce a new show. Um, so I think let's let's maybe jump into some of the, some of the topics that are on the agenda today. Um, we wanted to talk around uh, some of the new legislature that's come out uh, in the Canadian government around agriculture, climate change, sustainability, and you know, some of these things have happened in the past couple of months and kind of been overshadowed maybe by news relating to the pandemic, news relating to the anarchy that is happening in the United States. So <laughs> other things making headlines, but we we still we still care about the headlines that are important in agriculture. So um Paul, you've been thinking about this a bit. Um and Quebec has passed some new legislature uh related to agriculture. Could you tell us a bit about it? Sure, yeah, and Quebec's always been a bit of a leader in terms of what I call agri-environmental stuff because um, they do sort of emulate more of the European model to uh, regarding agriculture, so they, they have higher levels of subsidies and, uh, and emphasize environmental stuff more. So they came out with their, a uh, sustainable agriculture plan back in October, and it has you know, new money for, you know, different environmental activities and they set targets for achieving, you know, even things like soil organic matter in uh, fields, which is kind of unprecedented and, and targets for reducing nitri uh, nitrous oxide emissions from farm fields. So, <clears throat> and then how they're going to do that too. So it's, uh, and this is from a conservative minded government too. Uh, Monsieur Legault is, is certainly not a lefty by any stretch of the imagination, and 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 one of the interesting things in there uh, is the proposal to hire more agronomists and agricultural engineers, extension people. So this is kind of like the opposite trend that we've seen in the country for two decades, right? That they're hiring more people, not laying people off. So like in 
Alberta has been doing uh, most recently, and every province probably has done, well, not, but at least Ontario did that, you know, years ago now too. So that's a pretty substantial change. And so they, I think they're pretty much leading the country in this area at the moment uh, because of the, what they proposed. Uh, and it follows on from their previous commitments too. So I think it's just, uh, and they had also support from the ag sector for that too. So that's kind of a thumbnail of it. Yeah, I think this is a really good piece of legislation, especially the part that you mentioned around hiring new agronomists, because uh, a lot of our research is focusing around, you know, the role of technology in agriculture. And by having these kinds of specialists, agricultural engineers, agronomists um, in the field, they can really help farmers with, you know, technology transfer and providing training of, of how to use these things to achieve more sustainable farming practices. Yeah, I, I kind of also think it's a very interesting uh, observation from, from, from the plan because from my, my little regions around uh, extension in, out here, even in the developing country, we know like over time, the role of government in extension has been going down and most yeah. of the extension has been moving towards like to, to the pri private sector. So it's quite interesting to see a plan that is actually like proposing the like employing more agronomies mm -hmm. to, in order to help in extension. So it, it will really be interesting to see how the plan actually like unfolds practically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think one aspect of this plan that's really interesting is that um, in terms of kind of a carrot or a stick approach, it's much more geared towards a carrot approach to farmers in the sense that they are trying to reduce, um, as you said, Paul, nitrogen fertilizers, phosphorus, these kind of um, things that contribute to uh, contamination of water but they're doing it through incentives to farmers. So of the, of the money that's been set aside for this sustainable agricultural plan, $70 million is designated specifically for incentives to farmers to help them change the way that, that they're doing things um, in order to reduce pesticides and fertilizers. Um, and they're, they're not trying to make everyone go organic, but they're really trying to change practices in large and medium scale farms. Yeah. yeah, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just saying like it is kind of really cool to see like a plan like this, like at this time, and as you mentioned earlier, Paul, because there's a lot of talk about like uh, the, like carbon pricing. There's a lot of talk about like or, like stuff like that, climate change in the Canadian context. So I, I'm just wondering how does this plan actually fit into like the broader like discussion on like carbon pricing and issues around like, the carbon tax. Well, that's a very good segue. Thank you, Abdul, to the, uh, the new federal climate plan. So ever since Trudeau was reelected in the minority, they promised to have a, a new, uh, more ambitious climate plan. So, so back in the early October, they had legislation around how they would account for all their changes and so on and, and monitor it over time. And then in uh, December, it was kind of buried, I guess, by the by Christmas and the holidays. But uh, it was December 21st, they put out their new climate plan, I think it's healthy environment, healthy economy or something. And so that uh, the change in carbon tax, they're talking about change, moving the carbon tax up from uh, 20 or $30 to $170 
per ton in, in 2030. So that's what got the attention is the, the ratcheting up of, of the uh, carbon tax over time. But within it's a big document, has all kinds of stuff. So within that, it has lots of uh, stuff for farmers. And there's been a sort of lobbying effort to try to put more in there for farmers. So there's there's a, almost 100 million for Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada to have a develop a agri-environmental strategy for all of Canada and uh, and to implement that. And there's money for Environment and Climate Change Canada to fund nature-based climate solutions, they call them. So that might be, you know, more grassland, you know, more cover crops uh, to build up, uh, you know, soil carbon in certain areas and then reduce nitrous oxide emissions and so on. Uh, and then there's a lot of money for tree planting. Some of that would be on farms as well so there's there's huge funding commitments in there there's no details so it's hard to interpret exactly how that would work and whether it would be really a good thing but the funding commitments and the ideas are at least very positive and that and the quebec plan sort of seems to fit reasonably well with where, where they're proceeding uh, again the devil's in the details and there is some carbon offset work that uh, Minister Wilkinson also sort of set up. And met, uh, the current Ag Minister, Madame B. Bo, seems to be very keen on the environment file too. So she was talking to, uh, I forget which, I think it was the Manitoba Keystone Ag, Ag producers talking, and that she deliberately mentioned the idea of this carbon offsets for soil carbon, which is usually not new, <laughs> news for farmers. It's sort of like, mm -hmm. Kind of ho hum, but she decided that it would be a good thing to mention that. So, uh, anyway, it's time will tell what the what it really means, but it, it looks promising. Yeah, as we said, time will tell because uh, we, we've been talking a lot about climate change, and we've been talking about what practical actions can like countries or nations actually put in place in order to like meet their commitments, commitments that they have actually agreed to meet through international obligations and stuff. And we do know that agriculture is actually an integral part. And uh, many people have like suggested that if most countries are actually, especially in the West, actually going to meet their climate targets, they have to act actively work with agriculture. So I think it's a bold step like Canada is actually taking. And it will really be interesting to see how it actually pans out practically. But what is so interesting to for me to in, in this is I was reading through some of it and I saw that one of the areas that they are actually trying to emphasize to is actually in terms of like climate smart agriculture. And one of the key tenants would be is around clean technologies in agriculture, which is like something that is so close to the kind of research I do and I, I, Emily as well. And I'm sure from Emily could I speak to it in terms of how maybe newer technologies could actually contribute to this cause. Yeah, I think I think that the technology part of it is a big is a big piece. Um, there's been 25 million dollars invested in the development of on-farm clean technologies, um, and that includes things like precision agriculture and agro-based agri bioproducts. Um, and so, this is a new program called the Agricultural Clean Technology Program, and that's a step towards climate-smart agriculture. And I think that these kinds of technolo technologies are super important for um, getting more information and more data about our soils. So when we talk about 
you know, emissions and climate change within Canada, usually agriculture gets a bad rap, you know, as we know that it, the sector accounts for about 10% of our country's emissions through animal production, on-farm fuel use and fertilizer application. But at the same time, agriculture can be used as a solution as well, um, particularly for using these carbon sinks and storing and sequestering carbon within the soil, um, which reduces the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. So it's all about finding those technologies that can help us give us more information about the soil and make sure that our fields are, are acting as carbon sinks. So that the what's grown turns into our food, right? And there's lots of action about our food and concern about food prices. And I think Abdul, you're gonna lead us through a bit of the latest food price uh, discussion. Yeah. So. Uh as like if you follow Canadian agriculture, you know that uh, mostly every year in December, the University of Gulf, in collaboration with Dalhousie, reduce, uh, re releases what they call the food price uh, report, which more or less like forecast, uh, forecast the food prices for the coming year. And this year, I think they went to like more collaboration with other universities, including University of Saskatoon, and it, it was actually it's actually projected that. Uh, food prices are anticipated to increase between 3 to 5% in 2021. And I think 2020, it was expected to be between 3 and 4%. So we are getting a little bit uh, of an increase. And we, it is anticipated that with an average household of about four people, uh, we are expected to spend at least about $695 more on food in 2021 as compared to 2021. And some of the areas like of like higher prices mostly count in terms of uh, vegetables. Vegetables is actually expected to increase from between 4.5% to 6.5%. And I, I'm not sure what exactly accounts for that, but it just tells us that in 2021, probably due to some of the situations that we are facing, it, may, it might become more expensive for Canadians to eat healthy because the food prices are going to uh, actually go mm -hmm. Up. And I just wonder what this actually would mean for the average uh, Canadian to us. Yeah, I think that's a good point about vegetables. And I think one of those determinants of the price of vegetables, it's actually really driven by the value of the Canadian dollars since so many of our vegetables are imported. Um, so that's that's kind of one determinant that causes for the, the rise in vegetables. And then I think another area where there we're going to see rises is in bakery prices and that's determined by the global wheat market so in some ways a lot of this is out of our control and as consumers prices are going up but i think people thinking about it have the ability to kind of make different choices about what they're buying or what they're eating um from the price report last year actually it was predicted that canadians would spend uh about uh 1200 $12,600 on food. Um, but then when they did this year's price report, they actually found that Canadians spent less than that on food because of COVID-19. People were eating at restaurants less frequently. Yeah. Um, so less less amount of money was went towards food in that way. So there, there are changes and there are ways that people can save money and, and still be able to things. And I think the... Uh cost of production for fruit and vegetables was bad in 2022 because of partly the labor situation and also 
uh, product not harvested. So, so a lot of the profit margins were down and the, and the yields were down because of a lot, some of it was left in the fields too. I think there's a lot of production issues there. So. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And then that's one of the importance of eating in season. And so we've talked about the Canadian food guide a lot. And so health data says that, you know, almost half your plate should be, you know, vegetables. But in thinking about this food price report, how can we still get access to those vegetables when the price is increasing? I think, yeah, one tip would be to eat seasonally. And then the other one would be to think about uh, relying on frozen food. So frozen vegetables like peas, broccoli, carrots and corn, they are snap frozen just at their after harvest. So their nutrients are locked in so they can be just as nutritious. And I found that during this time of COVID-19, I've been relying on lots of frozen food just so I don't have to go to the grocery store as often um, during the pandemic. Yeah, I can actually also relate to that because during the pandemic, I also like resorted to like mostly buying some frozen vegetables. So because of the fact that you are not able to actually go out as frequently as you, yeah, we used to do. So yeah, I think that would be a good strategy like for some to use in other, to actually offset some of the prices, yeah. And what is also interesting uh, is that uh, we, we, we are told that food prices are actually supposed to go uh, high in, in 2021. And in the past, we have seen that food prices have been a, a big issue uh, around the world, and especially when food prices go high, we see like people actually protesting against some of these uh, food prices. But it's not only when food prices go high, because in agriculture, there are a lot of issues that actually lead people to go on the streets to actually protest re issues related to food and agriculture. And we know that uh, current currently, even though we are in the pandemic, there are some protests going on uh, around the uh, world, and more in particular in India. And Emily, you've been thinking about some of, and following some of the discussions around the protests in India. I, I don't know if you want to uh, elaborate a little bit more on that uh, issue. Sure. And so these protests have been going on for months now, but they've recently been drawn to the attention of mainstream media. And kind of this is how it came to my attention is that Rihanna, the pop star, uh, tweeted about it and I said, why aren't people talking about this? And then um, more people started looking into the issue and it's it's made headlines recently as tens of thousands of farmers are protesting against new market-friendly laws in India. Um, and the protests in some cases have, have turned violent um, with injuries, but, and I think this is a huge issue for just India, but it's also a larger commentary on, you know, how do we protect farmers? And also how do we allow farmers access to the global market. So there is, there's kind of um, a bit of a push and pull here because a lot of these new laws uh, that India is trying to put into place are um, to get rid of subsidies uh, for specific crops. And so there, it's a bit of a market reform in that way. And, but India has been super challenged with you know, farmers over the past few decades where over half the country is 
involved in agriculture. And these farmers are, are mostly on our small scale farmers owning less than a hectare of land. So it's, it's very challenging to put in these new laws where farmers might see that their prop, crop prices are decreasing. Yeah, there's a, uh, a stress factor because the, the farmers have such low income, you know, we can't even compare it to Canada because they have, no. they're at the, the very bottom and often low caste, uh, they're in the low castes as well. And uh, so the apparently the suicide rates amongst Indian farmers had gone up during COVID too, because it's an extra stress on them as well. So, you know, and... And this is sort of the deregulatory agenda of Modi, right? That uh, yeah. couldn't do in his first term, and now he's trying to do it at the beginning of his sec second term. You know, be well before the next election, hoping that it will blow over, right? Uh, but it doesn't seem to be blowing over. Seems yeah. to be getting worse for him. Yeah, yeah. And these kind of issues, I when I see uh, discussions around. Uh, things like this because sometimes we, we we do make policies that we actually think that we, we actually like or actually argue that these policies are for the benefit of this particular group especially in agriculture we were told that these policies are meant to help farmers and just like in the case of india like governments continuously argue that the policies are meant to help the farmers the farmers will benefit but the farmers are actually blowing back arguing that these policies are actually meant to help corporations and it brings us back to what all the larger discussions on how like exposing like the smallholder farmers to more uh, capitalist markets might actually be detrimental to their, their or their growth and their, their survival. And because if these policies are not favorable to them at the end, it actually squeezes them out of the sector. And mm -hmm. we see, we have seen that in other parts of the world where agriculture we continuously become bigger, bigger farms are becoming bigger, bigger. And it's, it's become, it becomes hard for other people to operate on smaller scale because of the kind of policies that are, uh, which at the end actually squeezes uh, smallholder farmers out. So it's quite interesting to see what is happening in India. And for me, uh, again, what is also interesting to me is, uh, which is really not directly related to agriculture, but it's just, from my past research related to how farmers protest, uh, just seeing farmers trying to exert their influence by like driving tractors and like other farm implements to, to into spaces that normally wouldn't you wouldn't associate with farms. So you see farmers like driving tractors to New Delhi, like like to actually city centers where you wouldn't see tractors or you wouldn't see farm animals on a normal day. So it's just a very interesting thing in terms of how farmers are able to use space or to distort the or like thought of space in order to accept the, to, to get their voices ahead. But as time goes on, we'll see what will happen in terms of uh, the protest. Well, it's, we just covered a few issues and there's so much going on. Uh, I guess we'll have to make another show soon. We will. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I guess that this will be, right, if I say, a springboard to get us started again. This is our first show for the year, and hopefully we'll be able to bring you more ex like exciting discussions. Uh, we are always happy to uh, do shows to uh, get people uh, to listen to whatever we have to say and for us to learn together as well. So it, it's been a good show for us, and I do hope that we will be able to keep the momentum. Let's, let's hope so. <laughs> 
You bet. <laughs> All right. Well, until until next time, uh, this is this is Emily Abdul and Paul signing off um, with our our first show of 2021, and uh, tune in to Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM.